0: This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with A Doctor Delivers Podcast, and today I'm going to have a little postpartum chit-chat with labor delivery nurse, Casey Dyson. Have a listen. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm super excited about this. I was just telling everyone that's on that it's going to be very informal, but very informative. Awesome. We're just going to, st- I made a list, uh, Casey and I kind of put a list together and we're just going to hit some of it. We're, we won't be able to spend a whole lot on one topic, but we do want to try, b- try, to cover as much as we can. Um, the whole basis of this is to talk about postpartum from that moment that baby comes out, mm-hmm. whichever way it comes out until those first 30, 30, days at home. Uh, again, labor, uh, uh, Casey Dyson is found at, uh, mama coach Casey, right? On Instagram, yes. mama mm-hmm. coach Casey. Perfect. And, uh, she is a labor and delivery nurse. So, you ready to get started? I am. All right. Now, I think it's a good combination. And I will say, obviously, Casey is a labor and delivery nurse. So, she's with the patients actually more than the doctors. I am a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Um, but contrary to popular belief, I actually do a lot of labor and delivery. A lot. Uh, we are, where I work, uh, the MFMs do run labor and delivery 24-7. So, I am seeing and delivering patients a lot. So, I still know a little bit. I haven't lost my touch. So, here we go. Let's talk about bleeding. Baby baby comes out, what happens? Um, So when baby comes out, it's
1: a hot mess down there. Mm. We've got lots of bleeding. Um, The placenta has to come out next. And Mm -hmm. usually during that time, there's quite a bit of bleeding. Mom, you don't usually notice this part. Your doctor, you might hear your doctor and your nurse chit-chatting back and forth about the bleeding. Or your nurse might rub your belly a little bit to get it to slow down. But typically your placenta will come out about five minutes later. And then your bleeding should slow down but you will continue to bleed four to six weeks out. It gets slower and slower. It starts off pretty heavy, bright red. You might have a few clots in the beginning while you're in the hospital, but then it goes to pink, brown, and then spotting, and then tapers off at four to six weeks. Thing is, at four to six weeks is you might start a period. So you might have an increase in bleeding, but it should be very normal increase, like your periods, whatever that looks like for you. If you're passing clots, golf ball size-ish, Um, It needs to be reported. And Mm -hmm. if you're bleeding for a pad, one pad every hour, that also needs to be reported. And that goes for in the hospital or at home. Sometimes your nurses get busy. They have other patients. If you feel like you're bleeding too much after you've delivered please let your nurse know, because that is a big risk after having a baby is bleeding too much.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, a couple things along those lines. Uh, first thing is that I've heard that, oh, well, C-sections don't bleed that as much postpartum. That's not that's not true. Mm-mm. C-section moms have bleeding as well, okay? I, I'm not sure where that gets, I guess they think that we get in, we clean everything out, and there's no bleeding. There's going to be bleeding after a C-section immediately afterwards, and then while in the hospital, and then over the course of time at home. So yes. C-section moms do have postpartum bleeding. The other thing is that in the delivery room what Casey was talking about where the nurse will uh, press on your tummy or right underneath your belly button because the Mm -hmm. uterus immediately goes from the size of a baby down to usually right above your belly button or right at your belly button okay and the top that she's pushing on or massaging is called the fundus it's called fundal massage and if you think about it the uterus is like a balloon um the fundus is at the top of the balloon Down here where the little tag is is like where the cervix would be. And we want that uterus, because it's a muscle, to continually contract. It's not going to go right down to what you had before you had a baby. It it involutes over time. It gradually contracts down over time. So the whole purpose of the contraction is to stop the bleeding once the baby's out, okay? So we do want your uterus to contract. Now – It looks like there's a lot of blood right at first, and all women are designed physiologically to lose a certain amount of blood after delivery. Traditionally, you think about 500 cc's or or 500 milliliters of blood with a vaginal delivery and around 1,000 or a little bit less for a C-section, which is normal. We expect that. Your body has designed itself to allow for that loss. But once we start feeling that you're losing more, we might ask for additional medications. The nurse is going to draw additional medications. We might have to do more fundal massage. We might be down there a little bit longer than you thought. And usually, you know, we need to get that bleeding to stop. And the most common reason why the bleeding continues is that the uterus just isn't contracting like it should. So, you know, don't be alarmed. I've actually found that I've seen a lot of patients who are actually bleeding quite a bit, but they're so, you know, thinking about other things or had the baby, they don't, they don't even notice. So, you know, we try not to alarm anybody right off the bat, but once it gets to a point where, you know, hey, we really need to start doing something here, then we might ask that the baby go to the spouse, or go to, you know, the warmer while we take care of mom. Right. So when you talk about the, the fundal massage, as a labor and delivery nurse, you guys don't just stop right after delivery, right? Right. You want sure, to make sure. So, so when the woman's in the hospital, they do what's called fundal checks. So how it's, often are you guys in there usually doing fundal checks and pushing on the, the fundus? Um, typically after
1: a vaginal or C-section, we try to take it a little easier on the C-section because okay. you have an yeah. incision on incision your belly right? and we don't want to bust that open. Um, but about every 15, 20 minutes for a couple of hours, yeah. I, um, tell my moms, I'm going to be rubbing your belly. I want it firm. And I actually take their hand and place it on their belly and show them where it is. Right. And I really encourage them because, you know, they're not doing anything else after delivery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, when they feel their blood pressure cuff going off, if you think about it, you can kind of massage your, massage own your own, abdomen yeah. and help to... A decrease that bleeding and they're always nicer to themselves than I am.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I don't get super aggressive unless bleeding is really heavy or I'm getting a lot of clots. I will just get in there, do a quick rub every 15-20 minutes. If it looks good after an hour or two, I kind of back off to maybe yeah. hourly and then kind of just take it as patient per patient depending so yeah yeah and so
0: and another thing to remember too is with hospital births most women have gotten or exposed to pitocin at some point not all Mm -hmm. but some and there may be a need to use the pitocin right after delivery for a certain period of time it's not like it's going to be in there for 48 hours um but i also hear a lot that you know oh i'm contracting because the pitocin well your uterus is going to contract even without pitocin so let's talk about that those uterine contractions don't just stop they can continue on for several days to a couple of weeks, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what does that feel like, how, how do you let patients know what to expect with regards, with, uh, regards to that?
1: Um, after a couple of hours of delivery, typically you do get the Pitocin bolus, and that is going to be make the contractions continue on, just mm-hmm. like you said. They're pretty strong, but after that Pitocin bolus and that medication stops, they get lighter but you mm-hmm. will still feel like menstrual like cramping. Yeah. You might notice it more when you're breastfeeding mm-hmm. yep. and you might actually notice it more like if your baby starts crying or something. Yeah. It can be relieved with Motrin Tylenol, depending on what your doctor's prescribed, but it does happen. And I have heard and in, in my own experience with a second baby that the more children you have, the more intense those after pains okay. are.
0: Well, that would kind of so, make sense because the uterus might take a little bit longer to get, do what it needs to do. Because in, yes. in that, in, in that, that's why you might hear if you are having your third, fourth, fifth baby, you are at increased risk for uterine acne and uterine hemorrhage, okay? Yes. The more babies you've had, and that's because the uterus doesn't come back to the and contract as quickly and readily as it would the first baby. So that is a real legitimate concern. So, you know, we want that uterus contract. Yes, it's painful for you, but it's not always just because of the Pitocin. Even when the, once the Pitocin's off, your uterus should still do its job and you're going to yep. feel those contractions.
1: Absolutely. Your body right. makes those hormones despite whether we're putting them in there and right. you or not. So. Right, right,
0: right. And um, yeah, so, and then the other thing is with breastfeeding or pumping, um, mm-hmm. you might notice that once, when you're doing that, you'll feel the, the contractions worse as well because it's, it's similar hormones that cause milk that down is what causes the uh, uterine contractions and that's why that happens. Yep. Okay, so let's move on to this incisions. we we'll start first with, Uh, obstetrical laceration repair and then we'll talk about a c-section care so let's talk about you know when a woman has had um, some kind of lacerations uh, during labor delivery we won't go into all the different ones I did did a video recently uh, underneath Instagram TV all about OB lacerations in the vaginal area and otherwise after delivery but talk about from a nursing standpoint when you have a patient who has had a vaginal laceration how do you counsel them about what to look for and what how to do what to do in those first few several or first several days to weeks Okay. If you've had a a tear
1: or an episiotomy, which is where your doctor cuts down in your bottom area, um, they will stitch you up with some sutures. They are dissolvable, so they'll stay in, but then your body, depending on your pH levels, how dry you are, wet you are down there, they fall out eventually. And you may or may not even notice Mm -hmm. that part of it. Um, But it's very important to wipe gently, pat in the beginning. Um, squirt bottles with warm water. You can use witch hazel. Um, I love the Tux hemorrhoid pads. Even if you don't have hemorrhoids, I like to fold them up and put them wherever that tear or that incision Mm -hmm. is. It just, it's cooling and it feels really good. Another really, really good thing is sits baths where you put about, I don't know, three or four inches of water in the bathtub and you just sit there. No soap, no scrubbing, no nothing. You just sit down in there, relax and kind of just heal that way. And then between that, you can use ice packs and stuff like that. But it it does get swollen down there. Mm -hmm. You might have difficulty going to the bathroom after that. Um, It just takes a little bit of time to heal. Another thing I think we forget to tell people with stitches is they get itchy. Yeah. So if you can,
0: sitz baths, witch hazel, yeah, and then try and not scratch or wear really tight clothes down there. Yeah, the itching is because of healing. Anytime you have anything, any kind of... Scar, you know, laceration or anything on your skin, it's a sign of healing. But the more, you know, moisture and you, you know, keeping it clean, and that will help with the itching as well. The mm-hmm. other thing, I, you know, from a doctor's standpoint, and I talk about this all the time, uh, and, and as a person or MFM in academic medicine who teaches residents, I tell them this, listen, we take a woman's vagina for granted sometimes, meaning we just throw in stitches, and we don't consider it as important as if we did some other type of surgery. I think that's wrong. I feel that anytime a woman tears down there, she should know exactly where she tore, mm-hmm. uh, what anatomy was involved, because it's not always just that area between their vagina and the rectum, which is called the perineum. It could be up, Towards where you pee, it could be up towards your clitoris, it could be into your vagina. Some women have very extensive tears. It could be into your rectum. So having a good knowledge of exactly where you tore, you should ask, where did I tear? Where should I expect the stitches to be? I teach my residents that that surgery, because it's a surgery. Anytime I am repairing something, I don't care, it's a surgery. It should be taken just as seriously as if I did a C-section on them. The last thing I want is for a woman to go home and not be able to sit on her bottom and take care. I mean, it's something as simple as that because Mm -hmm. she wasn't informed how to take care of it, where it was, you know, anything like that. So what are also some of the signs that you tell them to look out for in case it's not healing correctly?
1: Foul smelling drainage, um, green discharge. You might have increased pain or discomfort down there. Mm -hmm. That's unrelieved with any of the measures that I just spoke of before or pain medicine. Um, or you might actually could if depending on where your tear is or where you were cut you might actually can see you know that it has opened back up or yeah. it's not healing appropriately fever
0: is another indication of um infection also You're right yeah and there's nothing wrong with either a having a support person look at your bottom so they will know what it looks For like sure. and then if something doesn't right you say hey take a look does it look worse Right. Um another good indicator you know because women have the discharge and they don't always realize it's a different color is if it's spouse smelling, as Casey said, from the day that you leave the hospital over each day it should be getting a little bit better the pain mm-hmm. if you notice that that's not happening or the pain's getting worse, that's another sign that something's going on with the healing of your bottom, okay, so or you could take a mirror and you can look at it yourself so that you know what it looks like. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But knowing exactly and, and having that conversation with whoever delivered you about where the tears were is so important. So you know what to look out for. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. The sit spas we talked about and also um, all the, it's called pericare. care. Um, yes. Make sure you have that conversation with your nurse. They're usually the ones who actually educate the most on pericare care um, so that you have a good idea of how to take care of your incision and don't neglect it. Don't Um, Just because it's down below, don't neglect it. It's just as important as if you had a C-section scar, and I can't stress that enough, okay? Because I do see wounds in the vagina that do break down uh, simply out of neglect because they got busy, and because you can't see it, you don't really think about it, and then all of a sudden you have a problem. So let's talk next about – Another thing I wanted to mention, sorry. Make sure you're changing your pad frequently because that gets –
1: I think we all kind of just forget about that and go to the bathroom, get up, and do our thing make
0: sure you're changing it every couple of times you go to the bathroom, especially if it's saturated because right, you want right. to keep it as
1: clean and dry Fresh and in there as, possible, as yeah. possible.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's move on to cesarean section scars. Um, okay. We all know it's there because most of us can see it. Um, how do you counsel women who have C-section scars? What do they do once they go home? Once you get home, it's just very important to keep an eye on it. Make sure that it's not getting really red, swollen, red
1: around your incision, um, oozing. If it starts opening up, and everybody's incision is repaired differently some yeah. doctors will do sutures and then glue it back together some doctors will do staples and you'll actually go home with the staples or maybe you don't it's very just dependent upon how your doctor yeah. what they want to do um, but it should not have anything green or smelly coming out it should not be bleeding very much you might have a few little drops here and there um, no redness it shouldn't be warm around it if it is any of those things you need to let your doctor know um i always try to tell my moms to have their support person look at it because a lot of times you just can't bend over your Mm belly still shrinking back down and you can't see it you can take your phone take a picture of it whatever you need to do but do it the day the day you leave so you know what your baseline is so that you know if it's changing or getting worse or getting better As far as caring for your incision, shower. You don't need to rub it. You don't need to soap it up. I just tell my moms to bathe and let the soap run down. If you absolutely have to touch it or scrub it, your fingertips and just very gently. Gently. Mm -hmm. Very, very gently. Otherwise, don't touch it. Oh, stary strips. Some Mm -hmm. women will go home with stary strips. And those start looking pretty gnarly after Mm -hmm. 7 to 10 days. They also start falling off around that time. So, if they start falling off, just take them off in the shower, just as they fall off. Yeah. Don't pick yeah. them off, just yeah.
0: one by one. You know, one may fall out. Yeah, you'll that, see that the, the edges or... start to get roll, start to roll, yeah. or they'll start getting dirty. Just, pill- I have to be honest with you, stereo strips don't really have a function.
1: Yeah, I mean they really
0: don't. It's just to make the patient feel better. They don't really have like it's if you if they fall off, oh my god, my wound's gonna, my body's gonna explode. No, that's not it right. at all. It's it's they're just superficially, but they do get what I call ratty are mm-hmm. dirty and they start, the edges start rolling and you can just go ahead and peel them, off. peel them off. And that usually starts happening about the first three to four days and then gradually gets worse over time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so let's talk about the women who, um, who have the incision, but it's underneath their belly. Like once they're, they're not pregnant anymore, their belly might hang down a little bit over their incision. You know, yes. that's something else to also consider. How do you count? How do you talk to them?
1: What we do you say? We just
0: need to make sure that we keep it dry.
1: Clean and dry. So if that means, you know, picking up your panacea or your belly and kind of just gently patting it with a clean cloth at home, then you can do that. Or sometimes you can put a a peri-pat and just kind of stick it in there very gently. And that way it'll kind of soak up some of that moisture. Um, Because there's yeast and stuff in these folds. It gets sweaty and hot.
0: So the main thing is keeping it clean and dry. Yeah. And I can't stress that enough. You know, uh, we're going to talk mainly today about the incisions that are down low. Um, the ones that are up and down are not as common, but you know, they're a little bit easier to see and especially for you to see, but the ones down below, especially if your belly kind of hangs over it, I can't stress enough how important it is to keep that area dry because if you let your skin hang over that incision, it's naturally going to get moist. Bacteria love moisture. Yeast loves moisture and that's going to set you up for having an an increased risk for getting an infection. So make sure it stays clean and dry. You can even take a low heat blow dryer after you get out of the shower and blow it a little bit. Um, as long as it's not like on high heat and blasting, but I, mm-hmm. a lot of my patients do that. And then like Casey said, put a, a pad in that crease to help absorb the moisture will help as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like the blow dryer idea. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. I, it's a, uh, I learned that in residency from somebody and yeah, it works. Um, let's talk a little bit about a, abdominal binders. What's an abdominal binder? So you may have heard of these during your pregnancy. It's a binder
1: that kind of gets really tight you wrap it around and it supports your abdomen um to, while you're pregnant it helps you not carry so low it helps support your pregnant belly postpartum it just kind of helps support those muscles as they're going back down to your pre-pregnancy state i don't see a lot of vaginal deliveries using them although you can there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with it i find that it's very helpful for helpful for c-section mamas because they have that incision they stand up and then everything just kind of pulls down yeah it kind of holds things in place yeah it Mm -hmm. puts things in place I don't you don't need to sleep in it or anything like that it's just mostly for when you're up moving around it just kind of holds it all in and then as you're healing it you can kind of get rid of it
0: yeah, so, you know, abdominal binders are a little bit different, though, than a pregnancy support belt. A pregnancy support belt mm-hmm. is usually thinner, and it goes, uh, like, under the lower part of your abdomen. Whereas, if you go in the hospital, they give you an abdominal binder, it's wider because it's meant to cover your, your abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, about up to your belly button or so. Um, we use those a lot where we have, uh, where we deliver, and uh, some women like them, and some of them don't. But, again, it's it's mostly for C-section moms, like Casey said. They like it because it kind of keeps everything in place and, and does, it kind of helps with the pain, especially when you're going from sitting to standing and moving around in those first few yes. days. But you never want to rely solely on a pregnancy support belt or a binder because you want to still use those muscles. So two to three hours at a time is ideal. And then give, give your belly a break uh, and then use it as you need it as you get further out. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge abdominal binder fan and I, I love your, the yeah. hospital
1: on that right now. We don't give them out, but the one before
0: we did, And I'm like, yeah, what, why I need more yes. of those. So no, we, I love love them. we love them. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about postpartum pooping. Oh, we mentioned that we talked about that before, but this is like something that a lot of women have a lot of experience with. Um, but let's just go there. So why is it that a lot of women have problems pooping that first time after delivery? so you've just had a baby you've
1: had Mm -hmm. narcotics which are pain medicine makes you dry and constipated Um, not to mention if you've torn or have any trauma down there it's just scary and it makes you anxious um and it's hard to go to the bathroom after that it's some of it's mental but a lot of it's not yeah it can take up to four days before you have a bowel movement again after you've had a baby um stool softeners, lots of water. You do not want to do anything that's going to exacerbate the constipation. Um, Make sure that when you do feel like you need to go to the bathroom, you're not somewhere where you have to hold it because you want to be comfortable when you go. So if you have visitors, tell them to leave Um, and then go to the bathroom and just sit there. There's no reason to strain. Just kind of let your body do its thing. You don't have to push um, another thing that can make going to the bathroom uh, difficult is hemorrhoids yeah. so uh, but big thing stool softener you can take it twice a day typically depends on what your doctor says um, and lots and lots of water especially if you're taking pain medicine that has narcotics
0: in it so, yeah so the yeah. reason would be dehydration, dehydration. Uh, as especially after a c-section a lot of times c-section moms have the worst worst time just because they got the pain meds and it's hard to do not get them. And paid meds do slow down your bowel transit time. So it, mm-hmm. it, or just to go to the bathroom in general. So what I tell patients also is, you know, make sure you go home with the bowel regimen, okay, that you have those medications on board. And I think every woman should take Colace, which is a stool softener. Usually, It's usually twice a day for the first several days, even if you've had a vaginal delivery, just to prevent that from happening as much as possible. The other thing I tell women is, even if you don't have to go when you're peeing, just sit there for a little bit, is if you were just to kind of remind your, your bowels what they're supposed to do, and it might make it a little bit easier over time. The other thing my huge advocate for is a squatty potty. I love- oh, it. I haven't heard of those. You know, you don't know what squatty potty is. So Mm-mm. it goes, brings your knees up a little bit when you're sitting on the, 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 the toilet to kind of put your bowels in the natural direction for pooping so there's not that bend there, and it does nice. help. Squatty awesome. potty. Squatty squatty. potty. I'm gonna have to look that up. Body potty. So it was actually on Shark Tank. And now they're like doing really well, but I am a huge advocate for it. So Google it, have one at home Google. It's on my postpartum list on my Amazon store. I actually know I do have it on there. A uh, squatty potty really, really helps with going into the bathroom afterwards as well. So there are things you can do. Just make sure you have that conversation. And if you get to approaching a week after delivery with no poop, you need to let somebody know. Mm-hmm. They can get really severe to where, you know, I had a patient, I uh, had a friend who went almost three weeks without, um, yeah, her first stop. <laughs> yeah, and she stopped it. Oh, how are you? Fine. That's bad. If you're approaching seven day mark with nothing, you got to let your doctor know because we. You, if you get too impacted, that can be a medical issue. Okay, so you don't want to let it get that far. Okay, and since we're talking about pooping, let's talk. You mentioned also about hemorrhoids. Why are mm-hmm. we get hemorrhoids?
1: Uh, hemorrhoids come from straining during delivery It also comes just from the weight of your uterus during pregnancy. Some women get it, some women don't. It's just just depends. But it's veins down there that just protrude out, and they're very uncomfortable. And they could be big, small. It just depends. Um, and that's why we give the witch hazel hemorrhoid pads. But you can also use the cream as well. And eventually, hopefully, they'll shrink back down.
0: Yeah. So you know, it's you see the hemorrhoids the worst, and usually in women who have had multiple babies. And mm-hmm. um, vaginal or a c-section um but i've seen first-time moms have them as well but usually they've had a history maybe of constipation and straining for a while and then they get pregnant and it makes the hemorrhoids worse or maybe they had them and they didn't realize they had them then they get pregnant and they have an issue so so, uh hemorrhoids can be very very painful and that can also make you scared to poop Mm -hmm. so taking care of those if you have them um make sure your doctor knows knows before you go hey i have hemorrhoids too what can i take for that because you don't want fear of pain to keep you from going to the bathroom as well. Cause it's just going to make it worse for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to go through something that you're an expert at. I'm not being mm-hmm. a nipple care. I, I did not breastfeed. Um, my twins were in the NICU for six weeks. And so I, I was a pumping mom. Um, they did get breast milk, but I pumped, uh, every three to four hours forever. Ugh, um, that is, you're a champ. You know, what's really funny though. Like you hear that women are breastfeeding and they hear another baby cry and they'll have milk let down. Yeah. When I work, and this is a true story, that didn't happen to me. But if I heard a mom pumping, really, I, under oh my the, gosh. that's what would happen to me. I would have let down with the That's sound. crazy. I, I believe know. it, though. What's that? Our bodies
1: are amazing. Our minds are just
0: yeah. amazing. And, you yeah. know, when babies cry, you would think that I would have been leaking all day long and, and delivering babies. Nope. this If I heard it's a mom the pump. that's awesome the pump cried there you went the pump pump caused it okay so let's head at it what are some of the pearls you give women after right after delivery regarding uh breastfeeding and and nipple care
1: so breastfeeding is natural but it doesn't always come natural Mm -hmm. and it can take a lot of work it's a relationship that's between you and your baby and you could it's every time you have a baby it's a new relationship that you have to build um so just keep that in mind, and then I always, always I wish I had my boob. I don't have my my makeshift <laughs> boob with me, um, but it's very important. One of the big thing that's so helpful is the nipple sandwich. And you just take your your breast and you hold it and you squeeze your nipple kind of flat and aim it for the roof of the mouth. And I really encourage my moms every single time after delivery to hold on to that the whole time they're feeding. Cause essentially it's like holding a bottle and your baby doesn't come out holding bottles. And so you're going to have to hold it for them. And that goes for breastfeeding as well. Another big thing is pain. Um, it's not every day that your nipples get sucked on the way that they do with a baby. Um, it might, you might be used to having that, suck feeling on your nipples but not for the duration that a baby does and not for that intensity so you are going to get sore and that's okay the issue becomes that it should not be a constant thing while you're feeding your baby it should let up 60 seconds in or so if you're so uncomfortable we need to take that baby off and start over and look at the latch um if you get cracked nipples bleeding nipples and you just can't handle it, you can pump for 24 48 hours and let your nipples heal. You can put lanolin on it, colostrum, which is the breast milk that your body makes very first after the baby's born. And that helps to heal also. But you definitely should not be uncomfortable the whole time you breastfeed. So if you are, we need to look at it or get you help or reach out because it shouldn't be miserable.
0: Yeah, you know, I and I and I'm just going this here, I I am an ad, I have made a video uh, a little bit ago about fed is best. What that yes. means is that however it is that the baby gets its nutrients, whether it's formula or breastfeeding, at the end of the day, that is what, what's important. That does not mean I am not an advocate for breastfeeding. The American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend, I think they, the first exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months. So yes, there's a huge push for breastfeeding for obvious reasons. Breast milk has its benefits however if you are in extreme pain if your baby is not getting enough or you're worried about it not getting enough because you can't necessarily gauge as a, especially first time on how much breast milk your baby's getting and it might take some time to understand if you're worried about that get health but at the end of the day however you're important. that's why they want to see what your baby's weighing within those first few days and they'll bring the baby back to make sure it's not losing weight Breastfeeding is not, uh, is wonderful and I'm a huge advocate for it, but especially for first times moms, it, it, it's a lot of education, which right. you yeah, you have to absolutely help. You have to get a, a lactation consultant, talk to your pediatrician so that you understand, uh, you can gauge how much your baby's getting and make sure they're getting enough milk and that absolutely. you're not having an issue because sometimes this pain that, that Casey's talking about could be a sign of mastitis, okay you want to talk a little bit about mastitis? Mastitis is an infection in your breast tissue it usually comes from engorgement or blocked
1: ducts Um, the best thing to do to get that out is either well your baby is the best pump there is but if you can't do that you can pump but if you're running fever you have red streaks up your breast, it's an infection and it can get very very bad you can get septic um, you can get abscesses in your breast tissue and you need to let your doctor know right away because you'll need antibiotics. So, yeah, well, but I do want to say that typically your doctor will put you on an antibiotic that you can still breastfeed with. Yeah. Um, so, there's a lot of misunderstandings around that. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear pump and dump or don't
0: breastfeed anymore, and that's no. usually not true. No. So, no. We, give, we, we can give antibiotics that are perfectly safe in breastfeeding, and that's the goal as well. What yes. I. You know what i described it as milk rocks like i would feel yes. but get like a stretch of my you can't see my boob but a stretch of my boob because the milk ducts here just show me my boob oh. so here's a boob and the milk go <laughs> like this towards your nipple all the way around yep. so i would get like a, a rock it's really really hard in this one area and, and because- it hurts yeah and it hurts mm-hmm. it wasn't breastfeeding um, or my twins never latched, I would have to pump. And, someti- and it, sometimes it would take a while. I would go in the shower and I'd run hot water and I'd try to work it out myself. Yep. If it didn't work, you know, if that doesn't help, you know, either breastfeeding through it until they it, the the suction from the baby releases that clog or the pumping doesn't help or the showers and the massage doesn't help and you start running a fever, you got to assume that might be mastitis and you got to let someone know. I've seen young women come in with – their entire breast with mastitis. And sometimes if it goes enough, it turns into an abscess or a, 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 an infection, like where the, where the milk was trapped, it actually turns into infection. And mm-hmm. so you've got to let someone know sooner than later, especially if you're a first time mom, and you just don't know um, right. so if you don't know the best thing to do. If you don't know, ask and be for sure. Someone can take a look at you and make sure, especially if you start running a fever. Yeah. Um, and that was a good, a good point, too, is hot showers, warm yeah.
1: compress, massaging down towards your nipples. When you're breastfeeding or pumping, you can massage and pump at the same time. And that helps, too.
0: Yeah. Um, My
1: experience with mastitis is it
0: hits hard and fast. Yeah. Yeah. so As, I mean, it could take a very short period of time for that blockage to turn into mastitis. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that, and that's why I was so scared I was going to get it. I'm like, I'm trying everything I can, but it was so painful. I remember I was like, gosh. I it remember. is so painful. It's very, very painful. I think it was probably worse than the C-section, actually. And that's I, what, have, I would
1: agree. I didn't have a C-section, but I remember saying, I would rather be back in labor.
0: This is then, terrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Let's talk yeah. about nipple care. What advice do you have for nipple care? Are there creams? Are there What can we do to help with nipple care?
1: There are so many good creams out there. Um, the one I'm familiar with is just lanolin, but I see moms using all kinds of different things. Um, some... A recent product that I saw that I have not used is called Silver Pipette, and it has some silver in it, which is antibacterial. So I'm curious about those because we know that silver has good healing properties in it. Um, but I have not used those, but I'm going to look into those. So creams are great. Keep your nipples clean and dry. You don't have to wash your nipples every time you feed your baby or anything like that. <laughs> um, most, mostly just keep them clean and dry. You can wear breast pads if you need if you're leaky. Yeah. Um colostrum rub it around your nipples after you're done feeding. That just helps them keep keep them from cracking. Um really other than that, I guess you know there's a nipple shield. I don't know if you've if any of you guys have heard of those. They're they're kind of controversial. I encourage them. If you are one that just absolutely wants to breastfeed, you don't want to pump and you have some nipple trauma, then sometimes we can slap those nipple shields on and just
0: create a little bit of a barrier there and it helps decrease the pain. So the important part to take away is that, you know, it's not easy. It is a labor of love. And it, especially in that first time mom, it takes a, it's a huge learning curve. Absolutely. Get whatever resources you have to help you through that part. And for me, you know, I pumped, exclusively pumped, and my baby still got breast milk. And I, I want to make, I'm not, not advocating for breastfeeding. I am a breastfeeding advocate. However, I, I want women to know if for whatever reason you can't do it or not, are not able to, number one, you didn't fail. Absolutely. You tried, you tried your best. You tried. Number two, it's not going to affect your bonding with your baby. And mm-hmm. I really do with anybody who says that, because let me tell you, I did not breastfeed my babies. And I'm pretty sure they're bonded to me, and we did just okay. Sure. There's no question about that. But yeah. I, I hear stuff, and it really breaks my heart because moms have enough pressure and the worry that if they they don't breastfeed enough, or they they breastfeed and pump, or they exclusively pump, that they're less of a mom, or doing a worse job, or their baby's not going to be bonded to them. I simply do not. I I don't buy into that at all. Absolutely. So you get some do moms the- do not when you're-
1: find breastfeeding fun. Yeah. They don't like it. Yeah. It's very stressful for them, and that's not bonding. So if you're not happy doing it and it hurts, you got to do you because at the end of the day, your baby needs you. They need you happy, healthy. And ultimately that's, what's going to help you to bond with your baby and do a good job. So if you can't breastfeed, don't do it.
0: I'm giving you permission to walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we just need permission. So that's that's it. Or that you did a bad job or your baby's going to hate you the rest of its life. Or it's going to, bring it up to you. Uh, what was it? There was something that something on a TV show they found out that their mom didn't breastfeed and they're like, oh, you didn't breastfeed me? I mean, that's not gonna happen. Nobody mm. cares. But you know- Nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, and I do think if you can, breastfeeding is, be- is best as long as you can, but if you can't, that's fine too. Um, You're a great mom and you did a great job and your baby's gonna love you regardless.
1: Absolutely. Somebody, Heather, Liz, Beth, breastfeeding yeah. is best until it's not, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that is exactly. We got to have our mental health. So yeah. Agree. We- and I'm just going to add one more other thing while we're there. I uh, found I didn't realize this was a thing until after I went through the breastfeeding, but I or pumping. I got really, really depressed pumping. Every time I went to pump, I felt this impending sense of doom. I felt like I was just being swallowed up and I was sent with the pumps on and I would just be. Literally and totally, utterly miserable, and I was so sad. and And I realized that I had what's called dysphoric milk ejection reflex, or demer meaning that when that milk ejection reflex comes down. It can make you feel that way. It's like a legit thing. And I, I want women to know that that does happen, and it can happen because it happened to me. I I thought you know maybe this is normal, then I realized well I shouldn't be like nearly crying every time I'm pumping. And this was months in, and I pumped for eight. Or nine months, and it was like that every time. So that is a thing. If you feel that way, that is a thing. It can be addressed or treated or you know handled. So let someone know if you're feeling that as well. So for sure, I've never heard of that. That that is good okay. information. It's a real thing, and I I wrote about it uh, on a blog once. And I did realize it's not something, but it. And I looked because it's a legit. I even did a, a med search, a PubMed search, and it's there's articles on it. It really does happen. So. Yeah, I, I had that and it was, it was pretty awful, but you know, you know, pumping is, I, I would venture to say
1: pumping is just as hard, if not harder than breastfeeding. Cause you have the dishes, you're hooked up to the wall for 15, 20 minutes. It's hard. It's really hard. I, it was,
0: it was hard, but you know, I, I did it and my twins got exposed to breast milk up to 10 months, but I had to start supplementing it around. Wow. Awesome. Four to six months, but I couldn't, I didn't make enough for two. My any little bit. Any little bit counts, though. Yeah, I, I did as much as I can. And that's another thing to consider, too. You could always supplement. I actually supplemented for a long time, and, and I'm pretty sure they're okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Moving on. So, yes, no judgment here. Um, we are – Casey and I both, I think, are on the same page. That's why I like doing these things with her is we want moms to feel that there are options. There's not just one way to do things. And yes. you have to do what's best for you. Um, but education is key. and yes. You're not going to make everybody happy, but mm-hmm. never It's not, they're not coming into your house and taking care of your, your home for you or your children. You got to do what's best for you. Yes. You do you okay. boo boo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the importance of keeping your postpartum visits. The reason why I added this on here is that I, my residents did a study and found that, you know, typically a typical postpartum visit is, um, from, usually around two weeks on otherwise uncomplicated and then around six weeks. Right. Is that what you guys do? Yeah, we do
1: four to six depending four, on.
0: Okay. And, then, and sometimes two. Yeah. And then if you have a, like high blood pressure or something like that, they'll see you in a week. If you have to have staples out, they're going to see you sooner than that. Yep. But they found that women, a large number of women didn't go to their four to six week postpartum checkup. I did not know that. So, why are postpartum checkups or visits, why are they important? Those visits are so important just because your, your doctor will do
1: a, they'll look at your vagina. Um, they might even do an exam with a speculum. Make sure you're healed up down there that there's no incisions that are opening or your C-section scar for that matter. Um, and just make sure that you're healing appropriately. And then they usually give you the go ahead whether or not you can or cannot have sex. Um, birth control if you don't want any more babies. Uh, it's important to go. I mean, birth is a big deal and it can be hard on your body. And it's important to follow up and let somebody assess you, make sure that you are healing the way that you're supposed to. Another big thing is typically by four to six weeks, it's time to start looking at your mental health and letting your doctors know how you're feeling mentally and emotionally.
0: Yeah. So I was going talking about that. That's that's one of the main reasons to go back is also because we assess for postpartum depression mm-hmm. well, at those visits so let's talk a little bit about baby blues and postpartum depression what do you talk how do you talk to your patients about that I personally think postpartum depression
1: is underreported mm-hmm. uh, most women probably get the baby blues it should it usually lasts two to three days to up to max of two weeks mm-hmm. if you are feeling still yuck sad crying angry irritable edgy um you need to let somebody know and i know that sometimes this is hard to pick up on when you're exhausted and so a lot of times i'll tell their partners or significant others like pay attention let her you know be be easy and give some grace but pay attention to, to her moods and make sure that she's getting her sleep and if she's not right that we need to let somebody know I think another thing with postpartum depression that's not talked about is the anxiety aspect of it and um, obsessive compulsive issues. Those are things that, like, you're anxious, you can't sleep even though you're exhausted. Um, maybe you're cleaning your kitchen five times a day because you think your baby's going to get sick. Those are things that need to be reported to your doctor
0: also because it's treatable. It's not necessarily postpartum depression, but it is postpartum mood disorder. So, so what well, i so, also go to my Instagram TV. I did a, a really good session on perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, or PMADs, with Dr. Michelle, who's a perinatal psychiatrist. And this talks a lot. We spend an hour talking about this stuff. We hear traditionally about baby blues and postpartum depression, but it's not just that. There's postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD. You could also have intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are like, you know, you envision, you drop your baby. You envision that your baby rolls off and, or you're envisioning things that th- that you thought, you're like, I would never do that, but you're envisioning it. Mm-hmm. And they're very disruptive and they can be very alarming, but it doesn't mean you're going to drop your baby. It doesn't mean that if you don't do X that something's gonna happen to your baby. So intrusive thoughts are very, very common. I had them, okay? Yeah, it's like, too. they would be on this, I would be changing my baby on the changing table and I would just envision that he or she, I had twins, would just roll off the table and smash their head open on the ground. And it would, I would like be why am I thinking about this? It's, mm-hmm. it, it happens, it happens. It's part of the nature, nurture response, like for us to remind ourselves as moms to take care of our kids, it's kind of like all mixed in together. So there's reasons why those happen. But if they're starting to overtake your quality of life and overtake your ability to care for yourself and your child, You've got to let somebody know. And I'm just going to say this, and we're going, to, we're going to go there, Casey. The whole thing with medication use and women being told they should not be on psychiatric meds during pregnancy or afterwards. They can't breastfeed with them. They can't. No, I want people to stop telling women that, okay? Yeah. Especially women who have a history, especially women have any kind of depression or mood or anxiety disorder. There are plenty of safe medications we can give you during pregnancy and in the postpartum period, Okay. The also, the other thing is, is just because you report that you're experiencing depression, anxiety, OCD type behaviors or intrusive thoughts, it doesn't mean we're going to give you a script and send you on your way and say, here, there are other things we can do. There's yep. therapy, there's counseling, there's, there's options there. But I will also say this. Sometimes you have to advocate for yourself.
1: Yes. Especially when it comes to your mental health.
0: Yes. And it's I, taboo for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I just, I think a lot of, Doctors, due to whatever whether it's time or whatever, they attribute it to normal postpartum things. If you are normal, or your friends or family members are telling you, you know what, you need to be checked out. Something's not right. Sometimes you have to advocate for yourself, and you've got to find that help yourself. Okay, so don't be afraid to do that. Please don't be afraid to do that. A healthy mom is essential to a healthy baby, and these things are normal. A lot of us go through it. And you have to advocate for yourself to make sure you get the help that you need. So when we talk about medication use, um, we're going to talk about, I went there a little bit, but it's not just with, you know, uh, medications related to mental health. It's about if you're on seizure, if you're diabetic, if you're hypertensive, if you have any kind, of, um, any kind of medication that require, any kind of condition that requires a medication, It doesn't mean you have to stop because you're pregnant and or postpartum and or breastfeeding. Okay, so make sure that you're being taken care of and make sure that we have you on some kind of medication for whatever medical condition you have that help that helps you stay healthy. Okay, we shouldn't just stop because we're breastfeeding or or whatever. Okay, so that's where I wanted to go with medication use. Did you want to add anything? I just want to say
1: if you feel depressed or anxious, don't beat yourself up about it. You have a lot going on having a baby is life changing and it does not make you a bad mom to ask for help and get that help.
0: Yeah. And, and I agree with that too. I, I will tell you, I, you know, I'm a doctor yeah. and then an it that medicine specialist. I went through it all through conceiving, having babies, having premature babies and all that. And I thought that uh, because I was a physician, I would better able, was better able to recognize and handle things. And that's not true at all. I wasn't. Mm-hmm either. background did nothing for me, to be honest with you. Me either. So my mom was visiting and the twins were probably about six weeks old. We were having a friend or two over cause I was very picky about who I was going to have over. Yeah. They came over and as soon as I saw them, I lost it. I went up to my bathroom and I couldn't stop crying. And my mom's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. But it just kind of all hit me all at one time. And I realized, oh no, this is what's going on. I think I'm depressed. Yeah, You know, I didn't understand that. And so if I don't understand it, I can imagine women who are not medical professionals not understanding it. So for sure, I was the same way. We all go through it, right? And
1: yes, and I did not have IVF or anything like that, but I have thought about this so many times that IVF mamas, if you're depressed and anxious, it's okay. I know you worked hard for that baby mm-hmm. or babies and you're allowed to still feel that way because I feel like, do you ever feel like because you worked so hard to have your baby that you're not allowed to
0: feel that way oh, or, yeah. you know, but well, you are and it's it, okay. Can I say this? It's not, it's what society puts on you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got what you wanted. Why are you upset? Yes. That what? that's exactly. Thing. Another thing. Yes. Another thing. Because we went through it and we got what we wanted, we shouldn't be upset. But no woman who has a healthy baby should be upset. Mm-hmm. You had an easy birth. You had a this birth. You didn't have it. You are. you upset. You should be happy. I mean, you have nothing to be upset over. Those people need to, if people are telling you that, they should be out of your life. Because yep. That's not helpful to you. And another thing is a woman who have pregnancy after loss. Yeah. Why are you upset? You got what you got your rainbow baby. You should be happy. Why are you I am so sick of hearing that too because <laughs> one of the most stressed out moms I have ever seen are those who are pregnant after loss. Yes. Because the whole time they're thinking that same thing is going to happen in this pregnancy. And sometimes it takes their entire pregnancy for them to get on the other side. And even after that, and I can say that was the same for me. Okay. And sometimes my babies are four years old. I think I still have some issues with the losses that I experienced before that because it doesn't just go away because I have two children here. Right. So, you know we have to give women a little bit of a break, and ladies, if there's someone in your in your circle who is doing that to you, you need to eliminate that. I don't care who it is, because it's yeah. not well and it's not healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about. We're going to shift gears a lot, and we're going to talk about postpartum. <laughs> I hear all the time. Well, it's been two weeks. It's been enough. what? What do you tell them? I missed. I missed the. Uh, did you say sex? Yeah. Okay,
1: Um, well, it's your body, Mm -hmm. and you get to decide what to do with it. However, typically, doctors will release you four to six weeks. That does not mean you have to have sex. Um, Even then. Even then, you can have sex when you're ready. Um, Just communicate with your partner. Let them know how you're feeling, and if you are ready, but scared, just take it easy. Kinda ease into it. Um, It's probably gonna hurt, not hurt, be uncomfortable because you had a baby come out of there. Your muscles are still healing and it takes time. So, yeah.
0: Medication, I, if you have it, you can take pain you, medicine. I'm sorry? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, especially for women who have had a vaginal delivery with lacerations, I am going to say, it. I think you need to take the four to six weeks to fully heal. What you, I come in earlier than that and they busted their stitches or had an infection because they started too soon. And let me tell you, well, you can tell me you didn't have sex, but I know if you come in two weeks and those stitches are busted, I know what happened. So I get it. The the urges may be there and, but you gotta let your body heal. Yes. Especially with the delivery and and tears. It's another reason why to know where you tore. With well, a C-section, it's the same thing. Just because you didn't have anything a tear in your vagina doesn't mean you don't need to heal. You still had major abdominal surgery. So make sure you get clearance. Make sure you're okay with it. And, again, like Casey said, just because you got cleared at four to six weeks, you may not be mentally there yet, and that's okay too. And yep. help your partner understands. And if they don't, then you all are going have to have someone to help you guys work this out because ultimately it's your decision on when you decide to, to, to have intercourse.
1: Absolutely.
0: Right? Yeah. Yep. And, and I know, I, and I've seen couples, too, where the partner was very insistent on it. And I wish I could be there with every woman to advocate for her. I can't, but I have seen that situation, too. And if that's mm-hmm. the situation, then there might be some underlying things that are going on that you need to address as a woman. And you might need to figure out what's going on in a relationship if someone is pressuring you that soon after having a baby to have intercourse and you don't want to. That's a whole other issue. So do yeah. address that as well. And that's another reason. If you're not feeling safe, and we could talk about that too. We got 10 minutes left, but let's go there. The whole thing about not feeling safe, I will I talked about this a little bit. One of the most common times for domestic violence to increase is during pregnancy in the postpartum period. Yep. Okay, that is true. That has been proven. So in relationships where domestic violence has happened before. It go- may increase during pregnancy in the postpartum period. And in relationships where it's never happened before, it might happen for the first time during your pregnancy or the postpartum period. Another reason to go to your postpartum visit is so you can let someone know that you need help. Okay. And if you need help, there's nothing wrong with, a- with asking for that help. Okay. I will post some hotlines as well attached to this about getting help for if you're in a domestic violence situation. And since we're in the middle of COVID, I will say this as well i've seen and a lot of us OBGYNs across the nation have seen an increase in domestic violence because people are being quarantined at home with their spouse or their abusive spouse or significant other and that yeah. is um have you stress guys Stress is high yeah the stress is high and it's happening i've seen more assaults on patients through domestic violence and i and i and i've, and I've seen more reports of it so it is happening so if that's happening to you please get help and again i'll, I'll report i'll put some um Uh, some hotlines where people can can contact do you have anything to add to that casey have you seen seen more of that i haven't
1: seen more of it um but i do have a couple tiktoks on domestic violence during pregnancy and it has the hotlines on it also
0: you guys are i'll put that um i'll i'll share that on my um send me the video or whatever and i'll I'll put that on my on my instagram account okay okay so uh we're running over because we're chattering but is there anything Before I answer questions, anything else you wanted to add that we did not? Uh, People care, postpartum. You know, medications that make you sleepy, narcotics, anything that makes you sleepy, do not sleep with your baby in the bed. We're not supposed to do that Mm -hmm. anyway. I'm going to have Casey close here for a second on safe sleeping. But another thing, we're taking medications that make you sleepy. Your baby should not be sleeping on you or anywhere near you. Because you don't want to fall asleep and something happening to your baby it's a very very important thing to remember um so add, add to that casey and also talk about safe sleeping um so i'm not here to tell you how to sleep
1: it's very personal however studies show that babies on their backs are at a decreased risk for sids firm surfaces in their own space room sharing i think america is 12 months Canada six mm-hmm. um And then make sure your baby's not too hot or too cold. So no bundling up, uh, especially for newborns, they can get all that in their face. You don't want anything in the crib, no bumper pads, no stuffed animals, none of that stuff. Just a straight bed, um, bassinet, whatever it is. But uh, keep all that stuff out so that they do not get it in their face. Studies are showing also that pacifiers are decreasing the risk of SIDS. So there's a lot of controversy over pacifiers, but if you are a fan of them, use them for sleep. It, it's showing that it's decreasing SIDS.
0: What was the last thing you said? What was it?
1: Pacifiers. Studies are showing pacifiers are decreasing the risk of SIDS because they suck and they kind of are in that alert stage of sleep, but they're sleeping. So they're
0: not going into that deep sleep where they're not breathing. Yeah. Okay. ask answer a few questions does breast size matter in regards to milk production for breastfeeding no it does not okay. um
1: you can have small breasts large breasts it does not matter uh i forget what the term is and you might know dr clark um where their breasts are really far apart sometimes they don't make a lot of milk do you know what i'm talking about no i can't think of it either i'll have
0: to look at it up. i'll look it up for you guys and um and then watch base on it breast implants too i have breast implants mine are behind the muscle it did not affect my breast milk production the only thing i've heard where it might affect is if they go through the nipple and that's yeah. just maybe because they might interfere with the breast ducts um i don't i've heard i have not heard that breast milk production is affected by breast implants behind the muscle in front of the muscle but the only thing is about how they were placed if they went through the nipple or not that may affect that so you might want to ask ahead of time yeah i have a few friends who've had implants and they've successfully breastfed also
1: I think times have changed
0: in regards to that. Yeah. So one uh, one question is, what about moms that are terrified of SIDS and can't sleep ever? Um, I understand that can the fear of your baby passing away can interfere with you. But if it's getting too much, and that could be part of your postpartum anxiety as well. So it's getting to the point where you cannot sleep and you cannot function, you gotta talk to your doc because you that's maybe what you're going through is anxiety. So it could be that your fear of SIDS is triggering it, or it could be that your anxiety is triggering fear of SIDS. I, you know, which came first, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Casey? I do not. Um that's hard. Yeah
1: it's hard. And it, it, it depends on your personality also. Like I could never use baby monitors for, for me because Mm -hmm. I was obsessively staring at them, but some women love them. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's trial and error
0: and figuring out what works for you and helps to decrease that anxiety. Yeah. Um, there's no right answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I use baby monitors, but I had preemie twins and I was not, I didn't feel anxious about it, but some women, like Casey said, use them and they do feel anxious. But I think the key is that whatever it is that you're worried about, if you're not able to function, you're not able to get the sleep that you need, then that's when it's starting to interfere with your quality of life and your, and your ability to, to perform your functions as a mom. In that case, you do need to talk to somebody about um, getting some help. Perinatal psychiatrists, there's more of them. They're not, there, it's becoming more and more common, but you can look in your area about perinatal psychiatr- psychiatrists because they specialize in things related related to motherhood and pregnancy postpartum and all that. So um, that might be a first place to, to, to check. You can also call your insurance company to see what resources they have with the yep. psychiatrists that take your certain uh, insurance uh, plan. That's another great place to start. A lot of people don't think about doing that. Um, so that's kind of where I would start if you, if you need to see a therapist or just talk to somebody again, it doesn't mean they're going to put you on medication. Sometimes just talking through it through is what helps. Yep. Yep. We have a few minutes. Any other thoughts, Casey, before we close out?
1: Um, I, I wanted to touch base on babies that cry because my baby cried for the same time every day for three hours for like four weeks. And I literally thought I was going to lose my mind. Um, so just know that some babies cry. Let your doctors know, pediatricians, it could be colic, it could be an oversupply of breast milk, but if at the end of the day they don't know what it is, it could be something called period of purple crying. I'm not gonna go into super details, we don't have a lot of time. Look it up on the internet. It's babies that cry, they cry, they wanna be held, they're not satisfied. Um, If you find yourself in that situation and you need to walk away and put your baby down, put them down. Crying never hurt a baby so it can be very very frustrating and make you feel crazy Mm -hmm. so um walk away if you have to because we absolutely don't want you to shake your baby or do something to harm your baby yeah so some other things to help during those times white noise movement going outside hot baths skin to skin whatever the case may be maybe your baby's overstimulated and actually needs to be put down so Mm. but hang in there typically it starts at two weeks and it usually goes away around three to four months, but you'll find that it's the same time every day
0: for two and three hours at a time. Hmm. Well, maybe we can do another topic. I want the babies during the first 30 months, 30, right. I might not be very good at answering all those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We definitely could. Babies (laughs) are something else, man. Try. We could try. Okay. I'm here to shut us off. Thank you, Casey, for your time and your education and knowledge. I really appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now tune in for the next episode on how to advocate for yourself during your pregnancy, delivery and postpartum care.